Section 17 of the Fifth Queen. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Elizabeth Clatt. The Fifth Queen by Ford Maddox Ford. Part Three. The King Moves. Chapter One. March was a month of great storms of rain in that year, and the river walls of the Thames were much weakened. April opened fine enough for men to get about the land, so that on a day towards the middle of the month there was a meeting of seven Protestant men from Kent and Essex, of two German servants of the Count of Oberstein, and of two other German men in the living-room of Badge, the printer, in Austin Friars. It happened that the tide was high at four in the afternoon, and after a morning of glints of sun, great rain fell. Thus when the Lord Oberstein's men set out into the weather, they must needs turn back, because the water was all out between Austin Friars and the river. They came again into the house, not very unwillingly, to resume their arguments about justification by faith, about the estate of the Queen Anne, about the King's mind towards her, and about the price of wool in Flanders. The printer himself was gloomy and abstracted. Arguments about justification interested him little, and when the talk fell upon the price of wool, he remained standing, absolutely lost in gloomy dreams. It grew a little dark in the room, the sky being so overcast, and suddenly all the voices having fallen, there was a gurgle of water by the threshold, and a little flood, coming in between sill and floor, reached, as it were, a tiny finger of witness towards his great feet. He looked down at it uninterestedly, and said, "'Talk how you will. I can measure this thing by words and by print. Here hath this queen been with us a matter of four months. Now in my chronicle the pageants have been made in her honour fill but five pages whereas the chronicling of the jousts, pageants, merry knights, masks, and hawkings, that had been given in the first four months of the Queen Jane, had occupied sixteen pages, and for the Queen Anne Boleyn, sixty and four. What sort of honour is it, then, that the King's Highness showeth the Queen?" He shook his head gloomily. "'Why, Goodman!' a wool-stapler from the Tower Hamlets cried at him. "'When they shot off the great guns against her coming to Westminster in February, all my windows were broken by the shrinking of the earth. Such ordnance was never yet shot off in a queen's honour." The printer reigned gloomily silent for a minute. The wind howled in the chimney-place, and the embers of the fire spat and rustled. "'Even as ye are held here by the storm, so is the faith of God in these lands,' he said. "'This is the rainy season.' More water came in beneath the door, and he added, "'Pray God we be not all drowned in our holes.' A motionless German, who had no English, shifted his feet from the wet floor to the crossbar of his chair. Gloom, dispiritude, and dampness brooded in the low dark room. But a young man from Kent, who being used to ill weather, was not to be cast down by gloomy skies, cried out in his own dialect that they had arms to use and leaders to lead them. "'Ay, and we have racks to be stretched on and hangmen to stretch them,' the printer answered. "'Is it with the sound of ordnance that a queen is best welcomed?' When she came to Westminster, what welcome had she? Sirs, I tell you, the Mayor of London brought only barges and pennons and targets to her honour. The King's Highness ordered no better state, therefore the King's Highness honoureth not this Queen." A scrivener, who had copied chronicles for another printer, answered him. "'Master Printer John Badge, ye are too much in love with velvet, ye are too avid of gold. Earlier records of this realm told of blows struck, of ship-setting sail of godly ways of life in towns in France taken by storm. 
but in your books of the new reign be read all day of cloths of estate, of cloth of gold, of blue silk full of eyes of gold, of garlands of laurels set with brims of gold, of gilt bars, of crystal calls, of black velvet set with stones, of how the king and his men do shift their suit six times in one day. The fifth Harry never shifted his harness for fourteen days in the field." The printer shrugged his enormous shoulders. "'Oh, ignorant!' he said. A hundred years ago kings made war with blows. Now it is done with black velvets, or the lack of black velvets. And I love laurel with brims of gold, if such garlands crown a queen of our faith. And I lament their lack of it, by the king's highness maketh war upon our faith. And privy seal shall dine with the bishop of Winchester, and righteousness kiss with the whoredom of abomination. And my lord Cromwell knew how many armed men he had to his beck. He had never made peace with Winchester," the man from Kent cried. He rose from his bench and went to stand near the fire. A door-latch clicked, and in the dark corner of the room appeared something pale and shining—the face of old Badge, who held open the stair-door and grinned at the assembly, leaning down from a high step. "'Weather-bound all,' he quavered maliciously. "'I will tell you why.' He slipped down the step, pulling behind him the large figure of his grandchild Margot. "'Get you gone back!' the printer snarled at her. "'That will I not,' her gruff voice came. "'See where my back is wet with the drippings through the roof!' She and her grandfather had been sitting on a bed in the upper room, but the rain was trickling now through the thatch. The printer made a nervous stride to his printing-stick, and brandishing it in the air, poured out these words. "'Whores and harlots shall not stand in the sight of the godly!' Margot shrank back upon the stair-place and remained there, holding the bolt of the door in her hand, ready to shut off access to the upper house. "'I will take no beating, uncle,' she panted. "'This is my grandfather's abode and dwelling.' The old man was sniggering towards the window. He had gathered up his gown about his knees, and picked his way between the pools of water on the floor and the Lutherans on their chairs towards the window. He mounted upon an oak chest that stood beneath the casement, and peering out, chuckled at what he saw. "'A mill-race and a dam,' he muttered. "'This floor will be a duck-pond in an hour.' "'Harlot! And servant of a harlot!' the printer called to his niece. The Lutherans, who came from houses where father quarrelled with son and mother with daughter, hardly troubled more than to echo the printer's words of abuse. But one of them, a grizzled man in a blue cloak, who had been an ancient friend of the household, broke out, "'Naughty wench! Thou wast at the ordeal of Dr. Barnes!' Margot, drawing her knees up to her chin where she sat on the stairs, answered nothing. Had she not feared her uncle's stick, she was minded to have taken a mop to the floor, and to have put a clout in the doorway. "'Abominable naughty wench!' the grizzled man went on. "'How had ye the heart to aid in that grim scene? Knew ye no duty to your elders?' Margot closed the skirts round her ankles, to keep away the upward draught, and answered reasonably. "'Why, neighbour Ned? My mistress made me go with her to see a heretic swinged, and so dull is it in our service that I would go to a puppet-show far less fine, and thank thee for the chance." The printer spat upon the floor when she mentioned her mistress. "'I will catechise,' he muttered. "'Answer me as I charge thee.' The old man, standing on the chest, tapped one of the Germans on the shoulder. "'See you that wall, friend?' he laughed. Is it not a noble dam to stay the flood back into our house? Now the Lord Cromwell—' 
The Lansnecht rolled his eyes round because he understood no English. The old man went on talking, but no one there, not even Margot Poins, heeded him. She looked at her uncle reasonably, and said, "'Why, and thou wilt set down thy stick, I will even consider thee, uncle.' He threw the stick into the corner, and immediately she went to fetch a mop from the cooking-closet, where there lived a mumbling old housekeeper. The printer followed her with gloomy eyes. "'Is not thy mistress a naughty woman?' he asked, as a judge talks to a prisoner condemned. She answered, "'Nay,' as if she had hardly attended to him. "'Is she not a papist?' She answered, "'Aye,' in the same tone, and mopped the floor beneath a man's chair. Her grandfather, standing high on the oak chest, so that his bonnet brushed the beams of the dark ceiling, quavered at her. "'Would she not bring down this crummock, whose wall hath formed a dam, so that my land-space is now a stream, and my house-floor a frog-pond?' She answered, "'Aye, grandfa,' and went on with her mopping. "'Did she not go with a man to a cellar of the rogue's sanctuary after Winchester's feast?' Neighbour Ned barked at her. "'Such are they that would bring down our lord!' "'Did she not even so with her cousin before he went to Calais?' her uncle asked. Margot answered seriously, "'Nay, uncle, no knight but what she hath slept in these arms of mine that you see.' "'Aye, you are her creature,' Neighbour Ned groaned. "'Foul thing!' the printer shouted. Eyes are upon thee, and upon her. It was the worst day's work that ever she did when she took thee to her arms. For I swear to God that her name shall be accursed in the land. I swear to God." He choked in his throat. His companions muttered harlot, strumpet, spouse of the fiend. And suddenly the printer shouted, "'See you! Eudel is her go-between with the king, and he shall receive thee as his price. He conveyeth her to his highness. She hath paid him with thy virtue. Foul wench, be these words not true." She leaned upon her mop-handle, and said, "'Why, uncle, it is a foul bird that files his own nest.' He shook his immense fist in her face. "'Shame shall come out in the communion of the godly, be it whose kin it will.' "'Why, I wish the communion of the godly joy in its hot tales,' she answered. "'As for me, speak you with the magister when he comes from France. As for my mistress, three times she hath seen the king since Winchester's feast was three months agone. She in no wise affected his highness till she had heard his highness confute the errors of Dr. Barnes in the small closet. When she came away therefrom, she said that his highness was like a god for his knowledge of God's law. If you want better tales than that, go to a wench from the stairs to make them for you.' "'Aye,' said their neighbour, Three times hath she been with the king, and the price of the first time was the warrant that took thee to pay Eudel for his connivance and the price of the second was that the king's anger should confute our sacred barns in the conclave, and the price of the third was that the Lord Cromwell should dine with the Bishop of Winchester, and righteousness sit with its head in ashes. "'Why, have it as thou wilt, neighbour Ned,' she answered. "'In my life of twenty years thou hast brought me twenty sugar-cates. God forbid that I should stay thy willing lips over a sweet morsel.' In the gloomy and spiritless silence that fell upon them all, since no man there much believed the things that were alleged, but all very thoroughly believed that evil days were stored up against them, the bursting open of the door made so great a sound that the speechless German tilted backward with his chair and lay on the ground, before any of them knew what was the cause. The black figure of a boy shut out the grey light and the torrents of rain. His head was bare, his frieze clothes dripped and sagged upon his skin. He waved his clenched fist half at the sky and half at Margot's face, and screamed, I a carried letters for thee, 
twixt thy mistress and the king. I a carried letters. I a been jailed for it. Oh, fool! Margot's deep voice uttered, unmoved. The letters went not between those two. And thou art free. Come in from the rain. He staggered across the prostrate German. I a lost my advancement, he sobbed. Where shall I go? Twenty hours I have hidden in the reeds by the riverside. I shall be taken again. There is no hot pursuit for thee, then, Margot said, for in all the twenty hours no man hath sought thee here. She had the heavy immobility of an elemental force. No fright could move her till she saw the cause for fright. I will fetch thee a dram of strong waters. He passed his hand across his wet forehead. Thy mistress is taken, he cried. I saw Privy Seal's pikes go to her doorway. Now God be praised, the printer cried out, and caught at the boy's wrist. Tell your tale, and he shook him on his legs. Me too, Privy Seal had taken, but I escaped free, he gasped. These twain had promised me advancement for braving their screeds, and I had lost it. Gossips all, the neighbour Ned barked out, to your feet, and let us sing. A fortress fast is God the Lord. The harlot of the world is down. End of section 17